Welcome to Real Talk Intervention, episode number 21. All right, our podcast can drink. Right. (laughs) So, hi, Stephanie. We've got a really exciting episode of a good friend of mine who I used to work with has recently become a published author, which I think is, that's that amazes me. I'm really excited to hear what he's got to say because this is a subject that I am so into, but I don't necessarily feel like I have a firm grasp on what it looks like. So I am definitely excited to talk to somebody who has worked through this problem enough to be able to actually get it organized on paper. That is astounding. He literally wrote the book. So I'm astounded <laughs> right now because if I tried to put everything that I was thinking on paper, it would probably look like one of those walls where there's like, you know, strings connecting everything with like newspaper clippings. Like I have no idea how anyone could yeah. put all of these ideas into a book. I'm, I'm impressed, Brandon. I'm impressed. I was really, I was really excited when I saw the title of his book because I thought it fit really perfectly with something that we do talk about all the time in the podcast. You know, we're an intervention-based podcast, and he wrote the book called "Know Thy Students: Differentiation Made Simple." And I think we talk all the time about how the only way to intervene with your students is you've got to meet them where they're at. You've got to differentiate your instruction for them. You've got to just meet them where they are. You can't expect every student to do to be at the same level of mastery all the time. And we talk about that a lot, but, you know, it's it's really difficult. Without any further ado, we do have my friend, Brendan Lowe. The title of the book is Know Thy Student, Differentiation Made Simple. Brendan, why don't you uh, give us a little insight about where does that where does that name come from? It starts off with what I call the learning trifecta. If you imagine a three-circle Venn diagram, valuing students, having a knowledge and a passion for your curriculum, and then knowing your students. Two of those, we hear and we see training all the time about building relationships with students and and valuing students. We all know that we have to, to really know our content, know our curriculum, but figuring out what the student's academic needs are has been missing for a while. You can be missing one of those or two of those aspects and learning will still happen, but in order for learning to be optimized, you have to have all three in concert together and really make learning powerful. I've been a, uh, an educator for the past almost 15 years now. Uh, for 10 of those years, I was a, a teacher, high school teacher. I, I taught science. And once it got to about 10 years teaching, I decided that it was time to uh, throw my throw my hat into the ring of administration. And so for the past three years, I've been an assistant principal at the middle school level, which has been a big change. And there have been a lot of things that, that have kind of opened my eyes to how education really works. I've always been a data geek. And honestly, with this book, it started off as a look at how to use data more successfully in the classroom, and it kind of morphed into what it is now and and all about how to successfully differentiate. So what grade level or content is the book aimed at? I don't have a whole lot of experience with the elementary school level. I think that's good because Real Talk Intervention, we are for secondary educators anyways. I don't really know how many elementary school teachers we have that listen one. to the podcast. There's Most one. of our audience is secondary <laughs> teachers. We, yeah, we, we say all the time, 
we don't really know how things work in the elementary school world. But I think that's what makes a book like yours so valuable is I don't think there really is a whole lot of information out there that's aimed at um, at secondary educators. I think the majority of the trainings and the things that I'm seeing tend to have an elementary school slant to them. Oh, I totally agree. And as an administrator, I, I've been able to go and visit all different types of campuses from elementary all the way up to, to high school. One of the things that we see is that elementary school teachers do an amazing job of differentiating for, for their students. And, and that's just the nature of their game. The, the content is a lot less deep. And so they're able to provide what the students need on their level. At the secondary level, there's very little out there that, that we can really pull from in order to make sure that we're differentiating effectively so that the students get what they need. I can't wait to read your book. It's coming out when? November 14th? You can order it now on Amazon. Okay. I will get copies of it in on the 29th. I'll have actual hard copies in my hand, and that'll be the first time that I actually get to see it in paper. What are the problems that you notice in yours and other classrooms as you are observing? What were the problems that you were seeing that you felt differentiation was going to be the solution for? It started off trying to figure out how to more successfully use data in the classroom. And the differentiation part made logical sense where the book was going, where the information was was taking me. But I've been to a lot of different conferences and I hear them talking about differentiation all the time. I hear other experts come in and, and present and, and all of the the information about differentiation, at least on our level, has been deficient. When people talk about differentiation, they talk about student voice, they talk about give the students options of mm -hmm. what they want to do, what they want to produce, and that's been differentiation. Mm -hmm. And when it boils down to it, yes, that increases the engagement of students, mm -hmm. but it doesn't really give the students what they need. And so my system has kind of broken it down so that you're using what the students are producing in class to figure out what level is the student performing on. Mm -hmm. And then from that, you determine where you go the next day or the next lesson or what interventions they need in the future to make sure that we can bring them from wherever they're performing up to that level. I feel like in just that one sentence right there, you clarified for me what I find so frustrating about all the trainings that I've ever attended on this topic. You're exactly right, using differentiation as a way to increase engagement, but that it doesn't actually address the learning outcomes and the gaps in knowledge that we're dealing with at the secondary level, which you're right, at elementary school level, you don't have the lar as large of a gap in knowledge. It is kind of easier to differentiate content, but when you're sitting in the secondary classroom and you've got just these massive multiple grade level gaps in knowledge, you've got to differentiate on a content level. And exactly. that is so difficult. How does it alleviate the burden of this content level differentiation on the classroom teacher? Can it alleviate it? You start with the learning standard, you dissect those, figure out what is the level of mastery that is needed for that, that objective. And you create essential questions. From those essential questions, you can figure out as the student is performing whichever activity they're doing, 
you can figure out what level are they they performing on and you can use blooms you can use costas whichever you want to use whichever you're most comfortable with you can use that to figure out okay if they're doing this and if this is what I'm observing, then I need to do this to bump them from maybe comprehension up to application or, or analysis. How does that look in a classroom when you've got 36 kids? Like, are we doing stations? Are we doing self-paced modules? The way that the system is set up is you take those essential questions and you put them into a rubric. Basically, essential questions go down the left-hand side of the rubric and then Bloom's levels go across the top. And so as you're planning, you have taken an essential question and you've identified if a student does this, then they're performing at the knowledge level. If they okay. do this, they're at comprehension. This, they're at application and so forth. Performance so, tasks, basically? They're performance tasks, they're knowledge tasks, they're identifiers, the levels that the students are performing at. Let's say the learning standard is identifying the role of variation and adaptation on organisms in an ecosystem. So the essential question might be what causes variation among organisms at the knowledge level. That is the, the knowledge level question. If they can identify that it's DNA and differences in the genetic sequence, then they're performing at the knowledge level. If they can't even answer that question, they're needing that tier two, tier three RTI support. They're needing serious intervention to bring them up to the level that they need to be. If we look at, let's say, comprehension level for that question, it could be that the student identifies differences in the gene sequence of different organisms. And so you'll put, you'll put those types of activities in front of them so that they can increase the, the rigor and, and increase their performance level. How are you observing these? Is this like a pre-assessment that you're giving, a post-assessment? When is this happening in your lesson cycle? This is happening during the class. Okay. And so anything that a student does throughout the class period is usable data that determines what happens in the next class. One of the deficiencies that I've seen in the past is we tend to use uh, summative assessment data, but once we get to that summative evaluation, then a lot of times it's it's too late. Yeah. And if we can get that real-time data and we're collecting from one class period to another and we're differentiating from one class period to another, we're meeting the students on their level and we're addressing their needs right away and by the time for the unit test, hopefully, if you've followed the system, they're performing at the, uh, the mastery standard. That sounds wonderful. I get overwhelmed by how to track that. So do you have some sort of suggestions for teachers on how to build, like, what would it be, like a database? Or would you just have simple checklists that you would keep on a clipboard? What would that look like so that you could actually gather that data and then have a reasonable expectation to turn around and do some lesson planning using that information? Within the book, it talks about how to document data Okay. as the, the class periods go on. And what we find is there are really three types of data. One of them statistical, one's observational, one's explanatory. When you break it down, statistical data for driving instruction is, for the most part, 
not valuable data. Using numbers and percentages and things like that, that doesn't answer the, the why questions of why is the student giving the answers that they're giving. It tells us what they're doing, what they know, things like that. It answers the what questions, but not the why. And so what we do is we rely on observational data and explanatory data. So anything that we observe the student doing, any skill, any process that the student is completing gives us observational data about what they know. Explanatory is the same way. They're, they're explaining what they know in written form. It can be in the form of math proofs, things like that. Relying on the observational data and the explanatory data, we can collect those as evidence throughout the classes and we can make those, those data-driven decisions for differentiation. When we're collecting that data, there are a few different ways that we can collect it. One is through student product. If the student is creating something, if they're doing a project, that's usable data. And those things can be used to track the progress of students and, and make those decisions. If the student is doing something that's not a tangible product, in the book I have, I call it the generic data documentation form. And so as you're going around circulating through the class, helping students, you're asking probing questions, just trying to get a feel for what the students know, that's an extremely powerful resource that you can use to make those decisions for the next class. I think that's interesting. I, I've never considered the idea of trying to quantify. I know we've all had the experience of assessments and we're going, oh, well, you know, they, they missed this one because we had swapped the order of this or, you know, because we put uh, greater than signs instead of commas. We've all had those right. moments when we've kind of explained away why a student would miss a test miss a test question and it's not a content based i never thought about the idea of trying to sort of quantify those sorts of observations that's really interesting my my big question at that point is i can see a teacher gathering this data i can see us doing that the problem that I have in my own classroom and with working with teachers, that the struggle that we have is what comes after you do that? After you've got all that data, what do you then do? How are you front-loading your lesson planning at that at that point? Because you don't really know. You're, you're taking the temperature of your class, and then you've got a class at all these different levels of comprehension. Are you just having to like lesson plan every single night? How does a teacher then respond to that data, that next step beyond this? I understand that completely. You still lesson plan like usual. Once you do it once, you don't have to worry about it ever again until the, the learning standards, the state standards change. But you create those rubrics, one for each learning standard, and you have the essential questions and all that. You fill that out so that you know exactly what the student has to demonstrate, those skills, the, the knowledge that they have to demonstrate to qualify as mastering that learning objective at that level. Once you have that, then you let lesson plan like usual. And you know that within that lesson, within that activity that you do for that week, it's really just minor tweaks to the lesson plans that, that you plan like normal. If I were to try to do something like this, it might be valuable for me to kind of look at this as like a slow rollout, maybe find those five or, or six high value standards that I really want to tackle this year and, 
and attempt this brew group and uh, see how I could work this in for those standards and then just slowly but surely expand over time because as an English teacher, I know I'm thinking I'm working with like 110 standards right now. The idea of doing a rubric for each one makes me want to cry. <laughs> no, I understand. Absolutely. We have way too many standards, but hopefully that will be fixed in the next year. But, um, but I think that that is a really good it, – it's what we have to kind of get to the point where we are able to do that. It's just I think the whole idea can be very overwhelming, so I'm glad to know that – that somebody out there has figured out a way to organize it in a way that that we can that we can actually utilize every day because I mean to me Sarah right. you know you know without that differentiation I, I don't know how you ever meet the kids where they are and I completely agree it it is it is daunting to to consider and it would be something that every teacher would want to kind of roll out gradually and and get a feel for with with any big system like this where it's shifting the the mindset of of how the classes run and and how things are are planned and uh the the way that things are decided you have to get a feel for the system and figure out how it's going to work for you. Mm-hmm. And there is no one system that that encompasses every single teacher's style. You have to take those those pieces, those nuances that are going to work for you and figure out how it does work in your classroom. So wait, now I have to differentiate for myself too? <laughs> <laughs> it's too much it's all oh too my much. gosh oh my gosh overwhelmed <laughs> no i mean you're true I mean, I... we always say you know teachers we're just learners we're just bigger learners older learners saggier saggier learners <laughs> so you know yeah we we all have our different strengths and and you know i might be able to do the data part but i might not be able to do another part i might need some support on that so i like it what I like about what it sounds like the book is going to give you is some templates that you can use. You know, you can kind of take this and fill it out and kind of give you some different ways to get data, particularly for people who are not so quantitatively minded and who do prefer to have some more of that qualitative observations. I really like that piece. So it sounds like there's a lot in the book that, that a teacher can just take and sort of, okay, I'm going to photocopy this and I'm going to begin with, with this template and bring this in right now into my lesson planning process, right? Definitely. Yeah. And and that's part of the reason why I ventured into writing the book was that when I became an administrator, I really understood there are some people that just do not get along with with numbers. They don't get along Mm -hmm. with that statistical data. Mm-hmm. And the humanities teachers, they they just they despise even the word data. You yes. can say English. And you can say English teachers. <laughs> yeah. we, know no, we, we talk about it all the time. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, and math, math and science, they they tend to love that type of stuff. But this, and so this system really enhances for those math and science teachers. And then at the same time for the humanities teachers, for elective teachers, it gives them a way to use data that not cumbersome for them, that they understand, and that's, that's really valuable for their classroom. Okay, well, thank you. This was really, really fun. Thank you so much. 
So differentiation made simple. I am looking forward to learning how to do that. I mean, even as much as I believe in differentiation and know it is the absolute best thing that we could do, I have never found it to be simple. So I'm excited to see. No. <laughs> I'm excited to see yes. what that's going to look like. I'm glad that we're finally starting to talk more about those needs that we have that a lot of times high school has been kind of like, you do it or you can't do it. You know, you, you step up yeah. or it's it's your problem at that point. They're still growing. They're still changing. And they still need the same support that they're getting on the elementary level. They just need it a little bit differently at the at the high school level. And it's even, to me, it's even more extreme levels between those kids in the high school level. In elementary, it's almost a little bit more controlled. But by this point... If we don't have differentiation in our classroom, we've got kids on the college level all the way down to the elementary school level. So I'm, I'm yeah. glad that this is this is trending to be something that we are discussing, that we are moving towards as educators, because I think this is going to be what really uh, takes American education beyond that industrial model of just forming that 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 same kid over and over and over again yeah you know that the tide of education is is clearly it's going and it's going in a certain direction and that direction you know it is data-based and it is empirical and it is meeting the student where they're at and it is individualized and that is a huge task for us but you know it's just it's just where we are as as a culture but I am excited to kind of bring our, our data, our data conversations home with this, with a, you know, a homegrown North Texas teacher who's, who's gone to these lengths to write, to write a book. It just shows the passion that he has for students and for himself as an, as an administrator now, the passion that he has for his teachers. I think that's, that's fantastic. And Stephanie, you and I have a lot of passion about this stuff ourselves. We've uh, put in some hours of our, of our own here, kind of trying to create things and trying to inspire <laughs> teachers. And I, I got to thinking, Stephanie, when you think about this book and you think about the idea of differentiation made simple, to me, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about making things simple, I tend to think of technology and I think about all, all things in my life that technology has made simpler and and then also... <laughs> Complicated. I think, about, <laughs> I think about how angry I tend to be about technology. And sometimes I wonder, does, does ed tech really help me or does ed tech hurt me? This love-hate relationship that I have with educational technology, which I, I really want us in December, Stephanie, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk educational technology. Oh. What is out there? What do we wish was out there? What do we wish that EdTech could do for us? So in December, we're talking EdTech. I'm going to be out on Twitter trying to get some people to tell me what they wish EdTech would do for them. Uh, if you have some great technology piece that you're using in your classroom, please write in and share us. Or if there's something you just wish they would create, let us know. I'd love to know what you wish EdTech could do for you. And uh, we are Real Talk Intervention. You can follow us on our blog, realtalkintervention.blogspot.com. We are on Facebook. Like us there. We're always sharing good articles and and uh, information on there. And we're on Twitter at Intervene for Real. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.